Welcome to a special Juneteenth edition of the Gap Podcast series. The focus of our show is on issues of healthcare disparity, on black maternal health issues, and infant mortality. But since today is Juneteenth, I wanted to do a special show just talking about the kind of the importance of of Juneteenth and believe it or not the reality of the slavery and the post-slavery journey in America is connected to healthcare today but that's a larger story we're going to get into today I just want to talk about the history and the significance of Juneteenth not really being a native Texan, the Juneteenth holiday was always kind of problematic for me as I didn't really understand the cause for celebration. I mean, I was naive in that aspect. It, it, it meant that there was nearly two extra years of slavery for Texas blacks. Now, a few years back, I produced a film and directed a film called Lone Star Holy War, which got deep into Texas history and Texas politics. It's available on Amazon and Apple Plus and Roku and several other streaming platforms. But while working on that documentary, we just happened on some compelling details about Texas history and Juneteenth that really opened up my eyes to the profound significance to all Texans and really to all Americans. As troubling as our collective past happens to be, I feel like we ought to take a look backward in the United States to the mid-19th century. The Emancipation Proclamation was signed on 23 September 1863, but word did not get to Texas until 1865. I'm going to read to you the words from a document known as General Order Number 3. It was read by Gordon Granger on the stairs of the Osterman Building on Galveston Island. Here's what the document said. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the Chief Executive of the United States of America, all slaves are free. This invokes an absolute equality of personal rights and rights or property between former masters and slaves, signed by Major General Gordon Granger, June 19, 1865. Now, slavery in Texas has a complicated history, like most things. It's its range and its depth and its complexity is, is, is hard to pin down with a full compendium of facts. There were at least 181,000 persons of African descent living in Texas at the beginning of the Civil War. And about 99% of them were enslaved. Now, although only one in four Texans owned multiple slaves, black labor was essential to the Texas economy. There's some historians who assert that Texas, more than any other location in the Confederacy, had a significant number of whites who were against slavery. 
Now, the person who was his self-proclaimed father of Texas is General Sam Houston. And he won the Battle of San Jacinto and just achieved this rarefied status as being the father of the Republic. Despite that nine of every ten white Texans immigrated, the immigrated really from the South, from places in the South, the great General Sam Houston opposed the extension of slavery. Houston became governor of the state in 1859, running on a pro-Union anti-slavery platform and defeated Mississippi native uh, gentleman named Hardin Funnels. In January of 1861, a convention was called to determine the so-called secession matter. And the Texas legislature took up the issue. It's, it's interesting to me to note that the vote was for succession, but not for joining the Confederacy. On March 2nd, 1861, a second convention was held. A referendum supporting the secession ordinance was passed, and Texas joined the Confederate States of America. And great drama ensued. The legislature demanded that every member declare public allegiance to the CSA, the Confederate States of America. When Houston's name was called, he refused to swear this allegiance. At this point, factions within the state declared the governorship of Texas vacant. Now, after the firing of, after the firing on Fort Sumter, the, which was the opening military salvo of the war, the 2,700 federal troops in Texas became POWs. The state and the government was equal parts hope and, and turmoil, and we literally have no idea what's going to happen. By 1862, the Confederate States of America had initiated a very unpopular draft and was moving really toward a conscription and Union supporters gathered their families and moved to the northern part of the state to either fight for the Union or to evade the draft. And others hid out and were joined by Confederate deserters from across the South. By the late summer of 1863, just before the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, so many Texas soldiers were deserting that Confederate or CSA General John Bankhead Magruder contacted the governor and asked for direct intervention to stop the tide of men who were simply walking away from the Confederate Army. Denton and Wise Counties became home to so many deserters that people loyal to the Confederacy became terrified at the influx of pro-Union supporters. In Cook County, 40 white men were hanged for being Union sympathizers. Now, the last battle of the Civil War was fought on 13 May 1865 at a place called Palmito Ranch, which is about 12 miles east of Brownsville. This battle was fought by whites, blacks, Native Americans, and Hispanics. The black soldiers in the battle were from the 62nd Infantry U.S. Colored Troops, and the white soldiers were from the Indiana 34th Regiment. The undisputed irony is that these men fought for no military cause as General Robert E. Lee had surrendered 
the army at the Appomattox Courthouse some six weeks earlier. It was at Palmetto Ranch that many Texans first learned of the capitulation of Jeff Davis, who had been the president of the Confederate States of America and also Robert E. Lee. One of the things we know is that the sphere and circumference of life are devalued during war. Humanity is diminished because of war. Everyone suffers. The violence and the oppression touches every life. On June 19, 1865, General Order Number 3 was read by Granger. I can't even imagine the depth of the emotion that was felt by everyone present that day. Not only was the war over, chattel slavery as a legal matter was over for the 181,000 blacks who could now, or should be now, referred to as Texans. Perhaps it's time for an expanded narrative on the Juneteenth celebration. The Juneteenth holiday should really be beyond the matters of color and race, holding up a level of aesthetic symbolism for every person aspiring to the idea of being a Texan and embracing the reality and profound notion of freedom. But even on a larger national stage, the Juneteenth holiday should be representative of a day of closure, a day of reflection and interpretation, a day from which everyone chooses to move forward and shape a different reality, focusing on ways that we are similar. Let the reconciliation begin. Through the evocative prism of the Juneteenth holiday, I believe we can see the guiding light and hope of justice, fairness, and humanity. The kind of humanity that lights the path forward for every person who is a Texan and for every person who is an American. Juneteenth means so much more. And it's important that we all recognize that and consider that and use it as a tool to reshape how we think about reconciliation and about how we treat each other. You're listening to a special edition on Juneteenth of the Gap podcast series.